This is for Dosal Farouk with MedTech Insight. Many of you know me as Danny. I'm here today speaking to Impulse Dynamics' Simos Kidukulu. Simos, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with us today. As some of our listeners may know, Impulse Dynamics received a pre-market authorization last year for its Optimizer Smart Device, which treats heart failure. What's particularly interesting about this device is that it went through the FDA's Breakthrough Device Program, and recently, I think, to your delight, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services proposed a rule that would give immediate coverage to such products that are approved through the Breakthrough Device Program. First, why don't you tell me about your experience getting the product approved through the FDA? How long did that take, and what were some of the key challenges you faced? And was CMS in any way involved during this early stage of product review? Yeah, these are great questions, Danny. So first of all, the breakthrough. Um, we got the breakthrough designation as a product under development during in 2015. We were one of the very first devices to get this designation. Uh, as a reminder for, you, for the audience, the uh, designation means that... Uh, the device uh, has a breakthrough technology, which is a technology that can treat, that has the potential to treat effectively a life-threatening or irreversibly debilitating disease, and for which there is no approved or clear alternative in the U.S. Uh, so it's a very high bar. Uh, we got this designation in 2015. We ran our clinical studies, uh, and uh, which lasted until 2018. And uh, we uh, have been, we are the only breakthrough device that went to an FDA advisory committee. This is the circulatory advisory committee in December of 2018. That was a major challenge for us because we have to convince the medical community. These uh, panels are made of experts that uh, the FDA selects in this field. Uh, to, uh, we had to convince them for the robustness of our data and for the safety and the efficacy of the device. Um, and uh, that, um, is, it's, it's a very uh, challenging thing for a company, but it's very important for the healthcare system because it puts all of the data out in the public domain and it puts also the deliberation of the experts. We were um, lucky to receive a 12 to 0 unanimous vote for approval, and we subsequently received the approval in uh, 2019, as you mentioned. Perhaps looking back, the biggest challenge for us was structuring the pre- and post-clinical data collection, meaning the, the data collection until approval and the subsequent collection we have to do in a way that would be convincing not only to the FDA but to the clinicians and also in a way that would be financially feasible for a small company. But I do have to commend the FDA in that they have been very, very supportive to us and I know to other companies as well. And uh, they are striking the right balance between um, putting the technologies to appropriate testing and not uh, making the bar so incredibly high that technologies can never pass it and therefore depriving the patients from good solutions in uh, where they're needed. So since you got the product approved, how have sales for the product been? And how would CMS's proposed rule change things for you and other companies if the rule was finalized? Uh, so since we have launched, uh, we have uh, got our approval, we've launched our technology in early 2020. Uh, the reason for this is uh, we um, had to receive also a, what's called a pass-through, which is an add-on payment that CMS arranges for some uh, of uh, the technologies that show particular promise, and that became available as of uh, January 1st of this year. Uh, our experience with the sales has been um, uh, okay, has been positive, but uh, clearly uh, with things that could improve. And the reason for this is, as a new technology, we have to go through many, many challenges with the reimbursement system. Uh, even when you have a breakthrough designation, you have a positive panel, you have an add-on payment, which requires 
CMS to uh, be convinced of the value of the technology, uh, still there are a lot of uh, problems with the coverage of in, and the coding of a new technology. Uh, the hospitals are not yet familiar. The Medicare advisor, the Medicare contractors, the local contractors are not yet familiar with the technology. And this generally creates a three to six months delay uh, for um, get, making them familiar and putting their respective submissions. Uh, keep in mind that we did this in the middle of COVID, which obviously uh, hit in March here in the US. And as a result, that has further um, uh, delayed our uh, the adoption of this technology, which as a reminder, it's a technology that helps patients with heart failure have no other option, no pharmaceutical or other option for them. Uh, we expect that this rule, currently we're under medical necessity, which means that uh, the doctor has to document uh, that the device is uh, necessary for the patient and typically require pre-authorization. Uh, this is a lengthy process, takes up to six months, and it's very bureaucratic for the physician and the patient. And we expect that if this rule is finalized, it would materially improve this by uh, allowing the physician and the patients to skip this long and bureaucratic step. and provide faster access and create more knowledge more um, knowledge about our device because we will be able to work with CMS to gather data formally and not a one case by case like the pre-authorizations. And now you've mentioned a couple of, you know, issues here with a lot of bureaucratic issues. As you mentioned, you know, this rule would basically uh, create a national rule for uh, how these products are uh, regulated rather than having to go on to, to a local, uh, you know, max. And so, um, but over the past few years, as CMS has talked about, you know, this proposed rule and developing this rule, have you reached out to the agency and have other stakeholders uh, also reached out? to get the point across to CMS that you really need this rule in order to get your products to patients? Yes, we have. We have been engaging with CMS both as a company and via Advamet, the advocacy organization for the um, high-tech medical technology in the United States. Uh, on our side, as a company, as Impulse, we have made CMS aware of the uh, results of the patients, specifically to the Medicare population. We have a sizable part, nearly 50% of our patients in the pre-approval trials where Medicare was Medicare population in the United States. And so we made Medicare aware of this. We made Medicare aware, CMS also aware of the challenges that the new technology has. They had from us and from many others. In addition, via the AdvaMed, uh, we have uh, made this aware. This is a problem for the entire industry uh, when they're bringing a new innovation and especially breakthrough innovation. Keep in mind, there's very few devices that are designated as breakthrough, only 10, I believe, have received the designation and approval from the FDA. And I believe ours is the only one that have gone through panel. Uh, CMS has been quite receptive. Uh, we, uh, so they, they've made a series of incremental changes in all of the elements of, of uh, reimbursement. As you may know, there is three. this is a three-leg stool. So it has the coding, the coverage, and the payment. CMS had made improvements in the coding by allowing the MACs to cover devices even when there is a temporary code. Uh, secondly, on the payment, they provided add-on payment like the one we received that is a temporary additional payment to allow the hospitals to uh, break even on new technology and see the value. And this third leg, which is the coverage, is this new rule, which allows the um, pay the MACs, the Medicare administrative contractors, to cover without mandating pre-authorization, so removing uh, these bureaucratic procedures. 
So yes, we have reached out to CMS and I have to say that CMS have been very receptive. We recognize it takes some time for this rule to be formulated and come into play, but uh, clearly we found them to be a partner in bringing innovation access to uh, for patients to innovation. You know, some critics would say, hey, if you get these products on the market, there's not enough data for CMS to really say, hey, if the product is working or not. Um, and then you've got the product on the market for like say, four years where you're paying for the product and it turns out the product doesn't actually work or has some issues. And then you pull the product off, you're still making that money. What would you tell people who say, you know, you still need more data. You need more data to show that your product works before the government decides to reimburse you for it. These are excellent questions, Danny, and I believe these are uh, criticisms of which there's very good responses. So let me first of all, I, I believe this new rule is a really good use of taxpayer money, and let me explain. First of all, in the current system, we still get the devices paid under medical necessity. It's just we spend ourselves, the patients and the clinicians spend a lot of time going through pre-authorization procedures. I can tell you that our betting average, meaning the number of times a pre-authorization has been approved, is very high. Most of them do get approved, but they introduce a lot of uh, hassles and bureaucracy in the system. In addition, this is all one on case by case. In other words, we may have 20 pre-authorizations approved. That doesn't say anything about the 21st. And there is no mandate for us to collect any data to show the efficacy of the device outside of what the FDA requires for its own registry. With this rule, we replace the six months of back and forth unnecessary, in my opinion, bureaucracy with a blanket coverage, but by the same token, we are obligated to convince CMS at the end of the four years about the value of our technology, which pushes us to do formal data collection in a way that is useful to CMS. Uh, as a side note, we do the same thing in Europe. We have no obligation uh, to do a registry, but we are organi we have organized a registry which has more than 500 patients now in the EU because we think it's very important to, org to provide this data to the payers, and we will do the same thing in the United States. So it is not that it increases the expenses in the system. It replaces unnecessary bureaucratic procedure with a structured uh, confidence of the company that you can have approval for four years and enough of a timeline for the company to, to generate data to ensure that it will have continuous coverage. I, I also want to make a second point, which is much of the innovation has come from small companies like ours. And uh, in the, the large companies, which generally can afford to wait two to three years, can cross what's called the valley of death, which is the time it takes for a device to, in the past, it took for a device to sort out all these problems of reimbursement, coding, coverage, payment, etc. But the small companies uh, very often cannot afford it. And you see main, much of innovation in early innovation stop on its tracks. I believe this new rule would encourage early stage innovation that eventually will bring breakthrough technologies to the market and that increases competition. And this is always a good thing for the taxpayer. And you know, you kind of mentioned a lot of the small companies are the ones who struggle the most with this. Um, have you been talking to, you know, other companies, you know, your competitors and so, uh, and what do they think of the rule? There is a, a, again, there's very few breakthrough devices. It is not, uh, there's not many, but I have spoken to a few of the companies that do have breakthrough innovation and they are all excited and very um, they, they speak very favorably about the rule. It does uh, solve a major problem for us, which is how do you convince all of the stakeholders? And in many cases on catch-22 situations, for example, 
typically a technology, uh, when it gets to the market, has a temporary code. And for the American Medical Association to issue a permanent code, it requires 1,000 to 1,500 implants. How, how is a company to do 1,500 implants to get a permanent code without having any coverage is, has been a major problem. It's a catch-22. They ask you to have a permanent code in the past. They did ask to have a permanent code to get an easier coverage, but there was no path for you to do these implants. And therefore, many companies were stuck in this temporary situation, temporary codes, and never able to overcome them. This is an example where this new rule will help materially. And I know other companies like us, small companies that bring innov breakthrough innovation, would benefit and they're very, very excited and positive about this rule. So one of the benefits I think that was talked about for the Breakthrough uh, Devices program is that it gives companies incentives to do uh, uh, research and development for these kinds of products. Um, but, you know, since a lot of these companies were facing this valley of death, as you described it, um, it created a disincentive uh, from investing in that kind of research. Um, from your perspective, uh, are you refraining from certain products or, or do you have maybe certain products in the pipeline uh, that could be considered breakthrough? Um, and if not, you know, financially, uh, does it make more sense right now? This is an excellent question. And indeed, I can give you a great example of how this rule would help. We uh, have a product in the pipeline that is a combination device between our base technology and an ICD. Uh, as a background information, many of our patients have a class uh, one indication to have an, an ICD, and they get our, which is an implanted device, and they get ours as a second device. And perhaps those of uh, the younger members of the audience will not know that, but it used to be like that when we covered the cell phone and a camera. And uh, that's how the patients are today. They carry two devices implanted on them, which means twice the cost of the procedure, the anxiety and the cost to the system. Uh, in addition, uh, most of these ICDs have a fixed battery, which means that after five to six years on average, they need a replacement, which is yet another cost to the system and anxiety and comorbidities for the patient. Uh, we have in the pipeline a combination device, which is a combination of our technology and an ICD, which means one device. And in addition, uh, because our technology is rechargeable, we can give up to 20 years of life for this device. So effectively, we collapse what is currently three implantations, uh, our device and one ICD and the replacement ICD, uh, three implantations into one. And that uh, saves a lot of uh, cost in the system and a lot of anxiety and comorbidities for the patient. This device uh, has got the breakthrough designation already, which means that it will be eligible for coverage under this rule. We have been developing it for uh, two and a half years now. It's not easy to develop a new ICD. It's a complex development. But this rule uh, has given us a lot of comfort to accelerate its development so we can bring it to the market as quickly as possible after we go through, of course, the required clinical trials with the FDA. Now, to give you an idea of, the of what I said before about competition, there's around 100,000 ICD implantations in the United States. And a third of those, uh, roughly 35,000, are uh, change outs. That means an ICD replacement because the battery ran out. Uh, if you think that CMS pays around roughly 35,000 for each one of them, this is a billion dollars of cost in the system that could be uh, replaced by having one device that is rechargeable, which also makes the patient feel better through our CCM technology. So it's an example of a breakthrough innovation that both makes the patient feel better 
reduces comorbidity, reduces comorbidities because you don't have so many implantations and potentially saves a billion dollars a year in the system. It's, a, it's an example of what I said before, that competition and smaller companies can actually bring benefits to everybody in the system. And by encouraging this uh, device development through these rules, eventually the taxpayer comes ahead, in my opinion. Uh, we wouldn't have been as quickly and aggressive in developing this device if we didn't have the support of CMS, I mean, indirect support versus the things they've done in the past for coding and payment. And certainly the coverage has made us accelerate it even further. Interesting. Is there anything in our discussion that I haven't covered that you think is worth mentioning? Uh, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, these, the rules that, uh, that CMS has done offers, helps the patients offer an alternative, helps the patients that are in great need to have an additional um, ability to improve their quality of life. And I think CMS should be commented on that and uh, being responsive to the industry and responsive to the needs of the patient. I, on our side, we are ready here to innovate and uh, we believe that this rule and our own efforts uh, will help us bring our motto to, which is hope is here, closure to patients in need. Thank you very much for this, Danny. Thank you, uh, Simos, uh, for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, we'll stay in touch as this rule progresses uh, to get your thoughts and good luck uh, to you and your company.